Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, December 30th, 2019. This is Rick Morton, Lifeline's Vice President of Engagement, and this is the Defender Bible Study Podcast. Today, we're going to be joining Herbie. Um, Several weeks ago, he was at uh, Colonial Heights Baptist Church in Ridgeland, Mississippi for their Orphan Sunday and spoke on the, the topic of the gospel and suffering and how that relates to orphan care. So join with us now as we, as we listen in on his sermon from that Sunday uh, on Orphan Sunday, uh, The Gospel and Suffering, Orphans. We live in a world that has been dramatically damaged by sin. In this world, sickness and disease live, and our bodies break down or don't function properly. In this world, pain, sometimes chronic and sometimes acute, assaults us and makes life nearly unlivable. We live in a broken world where people die, food decays, wars rage, governments are corrupt, people take what isn't theirs and inflict violence on one another. Spouses act hatefully toward each other. Children are abused instead of protected. People slowly die of starvation or die suddenly from disease. Sexual and gender confusion lives. Drugs addict and destroy. Gossip destroys reputations. Lust and greed control hearts. Bitterness grows like a cancer, and the list goes on and on and on. But there is hope. Amen. What a beautiful reminder that although we live in a broken in a fallen world where there is suffering and immense pain, that we have hope this morning. And that hope is in the gospel. And so as your faith family is closing this series on the gospel and suffering, I want us to look and, and be reminded that the reason that we celebrate Orphan Sunday, the reason that the church has been called to intentionally care for the orphan and the vulnerable is because there is brokenness and there is suffering in our world. You see, it was never God's design that children would be separated from their families. It was never God's design that children would have to be removed from their families because of abuse and neglect or poverty. And so it is because of that suffering that God has called us to bring the gospel reality of adoption to bear in the lives of orphan and vulnerable children. And so my wife, Ashley, and and we have been married for almost 18 years, are grateful to be here with you this weekend. We have had the privilege of serving the ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, which is orphan care, adoption, and foster care ministry for the last 16 plus years along with the children that the Lord has given us along the way, Caleb, who's 14, Adeline, who's 12, and Emily, who's nine. And 
And we were actually talking yesterday that, that in all the opportunities that we have to travel around and to see many different faith families and their expression for how they care for adopted and foster families. And, and I certainly am not telling you this just because I'm here, but I want to commend you, church, on the way that you care for and you love on these families who have been called to adopt and who've been called to foster. We were absolutely blown away by the festivities this weekend and uh, the twin Julies that they put on and the work that they have done in that. And so it, it was just, a, it was a ministry to us to be able to participate to, from the dinner to the run, and then to celebrating today the reality of adoption that we will see in God's Word this morning through our spiritual adoption and how that drives us to go forth. And so just uh, abundantly grateful for this faith family and for Reverend Brother, uh, Pastor, Dr. Chad T. Hunsberger for allowing me the opportunity to preach God's Word to you this morning. And so as again, we think of suffering in the, in the gospel, I want us to be reminded that orphan and vulnerable children live in a world of darkness. And beloved, the church, we, as the church, we've been called to go with the justice of Christ to pierce the darkness in the ways that we pray, in the way that we serve, in the, pray that we, the ways that we go, the ways that we give, and the ways that we adopt, and the ways that we foster. We are taking the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to pierce that darkness. And our, our youngest, Emily, uh, I said she's nine years old. She is the earliest riser in our home. Actually, she and I are the earliest risers in our home. And I remember when she was young, she used to come into the bedroom, you know, and it would be around 4.30 or 5 a.m. and she'd flip the light on because it was a party and everyone needed to live in her party world. And I don't know if you have been uh, shuttered out of a deep sleep with light, but the very first thing you do is you ask, sometimes not very kindly or nicely, for the light to be turned off. Uh, if I'm going to be honest, I did that to my family this morning, and they asked, not too kindly, for the light to be turned off. Why? Because when we're in darkness and the light comes, we want to do nothing else but to expel the light. And so, church, what I want us to see this morning is we have been called to take the light of the gospel of Christ into some of the darkest places in the world. As you've been called to care for orphans and vulnerable children, I want you to know that they live in a world of darkness and suffering. And when you enter into their world, you're actually entering into their suffering. But the gospel of God is good and the grace of God is good. And his grace will always outdo our suffering. And so we want to persevere. We persevere to take light into the darkest places because it is the gospel of King Jesus that will change the world of these children. It's not our homes. It's not our picket fences. It's not a new bicycle for Christmas. It's the gospel of Christ Jesus that's going to change their lives, going to change their worlds, and going to change their situations. And so with that, I want us to look this morning at the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look in just a minute at Ephesians chapter 1 and the reality of our adoption, that we are chosen and we are the children of God by adoption through Christ. But before we go there, I, I want to just give you a background on this book of Ephesians. You see, Ephesus was an important port city on the west coast of Asia. It boasted the temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And Ephesus was known in Paul's time as the greatest place for trade in the province of Asia Minor. The letter of Ephesians articulates general instructions in the truth of the cosmic redemptive work of the gospel of Christ and of God in Christ. It talks about the unity of the church among diverse peoples, the proper conduct 
in the church. The proper conduct in the home and the world. Unity and love are the markings of a gracious work of the love of God and our Savior. And it's the evidences of a Christian's grateful response to the grace of Christ in our lives. Ancient Ephesus, it formed an appropriate background to these themes because the city was fascinated with magic and the occult. This explains why Paul emphasizes the power of God over all heavenly authorities and Christ's triumphal ascension as the head of the church throughout this book. You see, the Ephesians needed to be reminded of these things so that they would be grounded in their allegiance to Christ and the supreme power in the world that he gave them and in their lives. And so before we go to Ephesians chapter 1, I want to read from you out of Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 8, as we see Paul in Ephesus. Verse 8 says, And he, Paul, entered the synagogue, and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he, Paul, withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. They continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then one of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. A reminder that the Bible is not always rated G. In verse 17, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was extolled. Also many of those who were believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, and they found it came to 50,000 pieces of silvers. But so, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Beloved, this is the setting for this letter that we have to Ephesians. You see that, that this whole uh, Ephesus, it was stoked in magic arts. It was stoked in the occult. It was stoked in wanting more power. Paul had two major themes that he gives us in this letter. And the first we're going to see very explicitly this morning, and that is God has reconciled all creation through himself, through adoption in Christ. God has reconciled all creation to himself through adoption in Christ. But second theme that we're going to see through the book, or you see through this book of Ephesians, is that the Christ has united all people from nations to himself and to one another in the church. Beloved, this is why I believe on Orphan Sunday, this is an important place for us to look. And it creates just this backdrop for us as we look at how we care for the orphan and for the vulnerable. This is a place that we look at so that we can know why we are called to gospel-driven justice, why we're called to defend the orphan and the widow, why we're called to adopt and to foster. Ephesians 1 addresses our adoption and the power of God that rests upon us because we are adopted children of God. Sinclair Ferguson, who is the professor at Redeemer Seminary in Dallas and a Scottish theologian, he says this, the notion that we are children of God his own sons and daughters is the mainspring of Christian living. 
Our sonship to God is the apex of all creation and the goal of our redemption. You see, beloved, if we want to understand why it's so important and what it really means to be a Christian is and why it's such a privilege, then we need to appreciate divine adoption. We earn the seed of Abraham. We become uh, bystanders of the word of God through our adoption papers that were sealed at the bloody cross of Christ. And so it's with this background that I want us to look at the glorious work of adoption in our lives that we see in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of of his glory. So this morning, there are three overarching truths that we see here in Ephesians chapter one. And the first is that adoption is from God the Father. Adoption is from God the Father. Look again at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Oh, Beloved, it is abundantly important this morning that we realize God is the supreme worker in our adoption story. He is the actor, and adoption was part of his plan. It was his idea, and it was his purpose. Our adoption by God the Father was not an afterthought. Verse 4 makes that clear. It said, he chose us before the foundation of the world. And so if you're one that enjoys marking in your Bible, one of the things that I would love to invite you to do either now or at some other time is to go through this passage and mark out every pronoun and every reference to God the Father because you will clearly see who the actor is in your adoption. Let's let's quickly look through them real quick. Verse 5, he predestined us. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. Verse eight, he lavished. Verse nine, it was his will. It was his purpose. He set forth. Verse 10, to unite all things in him. Verse 11, in him we have obtained to the purpose of him, the counsel of his will. And then verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Beloved, don't miss it this morning. You have a father that is pursuing you and has marked you out before the foundation of the world. 
Just as with physical adoption and orphan care, there is nothing a child can do to become chosen or to advocate for themselves. Children are not tagging at your sleeves going, I'm available, I'm ready to be adopted. All you got to do is say yes, right? No, families make plans, they think about it, they get ready, they prepare, and then they go. A child who is adopted, they need the right person, they need the right pedigree, and they need the right resources for someone to seek them. And this morning, I want you to know that you have the author, the sustainer, and the creator of the universe who has sought after your souls. He is the right one. He is the perfect pedigree, and he has all the resources of the world. And he has sought after your soul. Romans 5 Verses six through eight reminds us that while we were still weak at the right time, Christ came and died for the ungodly. It says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. He came at the right time with the right pedigree and all the resources. And he adopted you. You see, adoption is not based on your ability. It's not based on your worth. And it's certainly not based on your works. No, it is rooted in God's love, eternal purpose, and his grace. So this morning, that means that our adoption, it's not fragile. It's not uncertain. God's not going to adopt us and then throw us back because he finds us unworthy and unadoptable. No, the precious truth is he already knows how unworthy we are. And yet he chooses us and predestines us anyways. This truth is firm, secure, and unshakable. Our adoption papers were drawn up by God, sealed by his blood. And that's why the second overarching truth of our, uh, that we see in this passage is first, we know that adoption is from God the Father, but then second, adoption is through the grace of Jesus Christ. Look again at verse five. God the Father predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Christ, the instrument of our adoption into the family of God was the grace of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Before the foundation of the world, God planned the death of his Son so that our sins would be forgiven and God's wrath removed. It was solely by his grace. That's why verse 6 tells us, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. However, I want us to know Adoption is through the grace of Jesus Christ, but there are two clear distinctions of this grace. First, the blood of Christ covers the sins of all who believe. The grace of God covers over the sins of all who believe. Therefore, believers in Jesus who are fully adopted, you are adopted by God and he is your father. However, hold this truth true. God is not the father of all mankind but only to those who have repented, confessed, and believed and followed him. And so this this truth should drive us into our communities, should drive us into our neighborhoods, and should drive us into our families to speak of the gospel of Christ Jesus and to plead with others to repent, confess, and believe and follow him. Recently, several years ago, there was a family that brought home some older children from Eastern Europe. And they were siblings, and and they were in their home. And as the siblings started to attach to their family and grow accustomed to their family and and actually really enjoy the reality that they had been adopted in this family, they approached their mom and dad, and they said, we want you to understand we have some friends that are still in the orphanage. And if someone doesn't pursue them, if somebody doesn't invite them into their family, 
They may never know the love of a family, and more importantly, they may never know the love of Christ. And so they pleaded with their family to go back and to adopt their friends. Fast forward, the family actually did go, and they took friends with them, and they adopted their children's friends out of the orphanage. And they went, and they wouldn't have gone if it hadn't have been for their children advocating for their friends who were still left behind and orphaned. Beloved, we must advocate in prayer for those that are lost and do not know God as Father. There are, there are those in your neighborhood. Those, there are those in your families. There are those at work. There are those in your places that you celebrate. There are places on your sports teams. There are people in your community right here in Jackson that need to hear the love of Christ and that they can be adopted. Do we have that same passion to know? We've been adopted by a father, and it is great, and it is glorious. But there are those who do not know that reality. But the second distinction that our adoption is through the grace of Christ that we must know is that we are not cute children in need, but we are enemies of wrath and rebellion against God. Romans 5 continues and says this, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God, by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see, your adoption is not based on the fact that you are cute, attractive, or worthy, but it is based on the sovereign grace of God set out before the beginning of the world. And so this truth that the grace of Jesus Christ is in our adoption gives us five promises. There are five promises that are ours as children of God. First, we are blessed by Christ. Verse 3 reminds us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ because of our union with him. If the believer comes to know God through Christ, everything that is true about Christ is true about them. We are seen by God as Christ himself. This is not a, a death row inmate that's seen freedom because of the clemency of the governor. This isn't a, this isn't a parole because of good behavior. This is, we are now seen as a model citizen. We are seen as Christ through our adoption. We are blessed in Christ. But the second, secondly, adoption grace tells us we are chosen in Christ. Before the foundation of the world, you were chosen. If you were in Christ today, if you were a follower of Christ today, before the foundation of the world, Christ marked you out and he chose you. This is a deep truth that shouldn't cause any debate but this is something that we should, we should just have pure delight in, that before the foundation of the world, we were chosen. God has chosen us to be his children. We must relish in this truth. But thirdly, and if that didn't get you, adoption grace tells us this, we are predestined in love through Christ. And I want to tell you this morning, predestined is not a bad word. It's not a word that we need to go and take a black Sharpie and just mark it out going, well, somebody got that wrong. It's a good word. It appears in the New Testament five times. And while I don't even completely understand the fullness of what this means, here's what I can tell you. Before you were born, God destined you to be adopted into his family. Christian, despite who you are, despite your sin, despite your rebellion against God, he said, I want you to be part of my family. He marked it out. And so, beloved, this radically changes our identity. We are part of the family of God, not because of our worth or effort, but because of his divine foreknowledge and his divine plan. But fourth, adopted grace tells us that we are redeemed in Christ. 
You see, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were by nature objects of wrath and strangers. The bounty price on our head was steep and high. But don't miss it. Jesus paid the price to redeem us and release us from bondage. We are now redeemed. And this is glorious news. Because if you look at the the tense of this verb, this is present perfect tense. We have been redeemed past tense. We are being redeemed present tense. And we will be redeemed future tense. Beloved, we are forgiven and our life is now hidden in Christ. Unlike in the Old Testament, where people had to continually bring the blood of bulls and goats in order to be redeemed, in order to be forgiven, we've been given, forgiven once and for all by the precious blood of Christ that sealed our adoption papers. Oh, and this should supply great confidence and perseverance for us through the gospel of grace of adoption. Why do we persevere through suffering? Why do we persevere through trial? What is it that the gospel fuels in us? That we have been redeemed and we are seen as lovely before God. And that's why we can endure hardship. That's why we can endure suffering. That's why we can do the work of evangelists, even when it's difficult, because we have been redeemed by God. It doesn't matter what the world says about us. It doesn't matter what our friends say about us. We know what Jesus Christ has said about us, and that is that we are redeemed and that we are special and that we are adopted. But then lastly, we see that adoption grace tells us that we are sealed in Christ. Look again at verse 13 and 14, and this is a a great promise to us. It says, In him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We have great hope because God has given his Holy Spirit as a down payment on our inheritance that we will receive. And it seals us and it keeps us into the coming of Christ. My grandparents started a syrup company back right before the Great Depression. And uh, one of the reasons that they, they started the syrup company is that my grandfather loved maple syrup, but he wanted a little touch of honey. And so they put a little touch of honey in it and, and they bottled this and it, it, it grew like wildfire throughout the Southeast. And many of you may have heard of it. It was golden eagle table syrup. And right even in the Great Depression, the thing was farmers would put a little golden eagle syrup on their biscuit and it'd carry them through lunch until dinner time because that honey kept them full throughout the day. But one of the secrets about golden eagle table syrup that I learned as I grew up is that it was always heat packed. And so golden eagle was always in a glass jar because they heat packed everything and they put a seal on it to preserve it. So my grandparents sold the company in 1988, and right before they sold it, they, they, they just made boxes and boxes of it, and we literally stored it in corners of our garage and underneath beds so that we would have it for the rest of all time. And, and still to this day, in 2019, I've got boxes in my garage of Golden Eagle table syrup. And when we take that bottle out, we know it's good because when we unlo- unlock the, the seal and we pop that top open, it goes, And then all the golden color still is there, right? Over 30 years later, that golden color is still there. And that bottle has been preserved because it was heat packed. In the same way, if you are in Christ and you are adopted by him, the spirit has sealed you and guaranteed your inheritance. He is keeping you just like that syrup until the day that Christ comes back. And the Holy Spirit 
It binds us and it unites us even today. Brothers and sisters from different biological families, different backgrounds, different cultures, and maybe even different languages and dialects. But we know that when we are in Christ, that we are the family of God and we have the seal of his Holy Spirit. But that brings us to our third point that we learn from this passage. And that is that adoption is for God's glory. So adoption was from God the Father, adoption was through the grace of Christ, and adoption is for God's glory. Look again at verses 5 and 6. It tells us he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. All things are from him and through him, and our adoption is ultimately for the glory of God. He adopted us in our unworthiness to show the supreme nature of his grace. Our adoption is God-centered and God-exalting. So don't miss this, beloved. We cannot make our adoption from God the Father about us or we'll begin to idolize ourselves and our own desires. No, the goal of our adoption was so that the glory of God would be more explicably known to the world. God exalts himself and he loves us. He exalts himself by loving us. And so the goal of our adoption is that we get God, not that God gets us. He is exalted and we are loved. Therefore, we must ask ourselves, are our hearts fixed on bringing great glory to our Father? Look at John 17. This is right as Jesus is is about to, to leave this earth. And this is his prayer in the garden before the Lord. Starting in verse one of John chapter 17, this is what Jesus says. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The aim and the mission of Christ was exalt God by loving us through his grace. God doesn't merely wait to be exalted. He exalts his own name. That's why Jesus said in Luke 19.40, when he rebuked the Pharisees upon, asking the, the, upon their asking of the followers to stop exalting Christ, he says, as I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Beloved, our God is about his glory, and that's a good thing. Because who else would the author, creator, and sustainer of the universe be about except for his own glory? He's about his glory. Who else would we exalt besides the author, the creator, and the sustainer of this universe. And so I want us to see also four quick implications of God's adoptive love that we see from this passage. Implications for you. First, we are accepted by God the Father as his beloved children. We have been chosen and redeemed. We see that in verses 4 and 7. And therefore, through Christ, we're seen as blameless. We have been accepted by God the Father. This is what Paul David Tripp, a pastor and author, says. He says, Jesus was willing to be despised, and he did it willingly so that as his children, you and I would be able to live in the hope and peace of knowing that no matter what we face in the human community, we are perfectly and eternally loved and accepted by God. 
We live in a culture of self-reliance. We live in a culture that, that believes that we've got to exalt ourselves or no one else will. We've got to make sure that people know of our accomplishments or they won't be uh, applauded, right? I don't know if you have a social media account, but that's what social media is all about, exalting your accomplishments and exalting the things that you have done. My sweet wife homeschools our three children, and it is a battle. I'm telling you, she is one of the most submissive women that I've ever met. When I asked her to pray about homeschooling, I kid you not, and she's fine with me saying this, she said no. I said, will you pray about it? And she said, no, I don't have to. Well, the Lord did a work in her, and she started homeschooling. But sometimes I have to put her on social media and blog restriction because she'll bring home and say, look at what this mom's doing with her kids, and I can barely get them to learn math, right? Because people like to say the good things that are going on. Very rarely do they say, I yelled at my kids, I told my wife things that I wish I hadn't told her, and I'm a horrible person, pray for me. Very rarely do we put those things. And even if we do, we're probably trying to get people to say, wow, how humble, how great, right? We, we, we look for ways to prop ourselves up. But this is what our adoption tells us. You don't have to prop your own self up because you've been accepted by God. And if you've been accepted by God, who cares if anyone else accepts you? Oh, beloved sinner, this is the good news of spiritual adoption. Just like an orphan child, trapped, lonely, and possessing nothing in and of themselves to be noticed, God initiates his love for you, and he accepts you. You're no longer unacceptable, but you're now a child of God, fully accepted by him because of the work of Jesus on the cross. You see, orphans and vulnerable children can't do anything to be accepted. There's nothing in and of themselves that they can do to be noticed. They are dependent. And we are those children. And our great God was an adoptive daddy who accepts us, not on our own merit, but on his. That's why Paul will further say to the Galatians in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So as his children, we have, an, we have the abiding presence of our father. We have the spirit of God within us and in our hearts. And this gives us great boldness and confidence. Just as you wouldn't leave a two-year-old home alone, at least I hope you wouldn't, right? Because if something happens, you want to be nearby, your God does not leave you or forsake you. He is there. He is present. And because he is present, we have the ability to cry out and speak to our Father. The word here in Galatians is the word krasdon, and it means a loud cry full of passion and feeling. This is a child crying out for their parents. And as children cry out, they cry out because they know their parents will listen. And beloved, you can cry out today because your God will listen. So when suffering crouches at your door, when hardship crouches at your door, when pain crouches at your door, when you get the diagnosis that you fear from the doctor, know that you have a father that is ready to be cried out to. And he will listen and he will give you peace. And he will come and he will minister to your soul. We have access to the author, creator, and the sustainer of the universe. What more could we want? My middle daughter, Adeline, and I, I got an invitation in December and was able to take her with me to a meeting at the White House. And we had a meeting in the West Wing of the White House. And 
This meeting was on religious liberty and child welfare. And one of the things before we went is we had to basically give them our social security numbers, our passport, our date of birth, our blood type, you know, anything that was about us. And because they were checking to make sure that we were, were okay to enter into the West Wing of the White House. And I remember as we got there outside of the White House, they were told, to, told us to arrive 45 minutes early. And I sure found out why, because they, they checked everything that we had. They went through all of our stuff. It took 45 minutes for us to go through and get through security. But the most surprising thing was, is after we went through security, we were free in the West Wing, like just free. And of course, in my pride, I wanted to go, I know where to go. So we just started walking around, had no clue, Right. Well, apparently we made it through like a near a little circular type office, oval in shape, I believe. And we found out where we were because all of a sudden we, we learned who the Secret Service agents were. As they said, you're not supposed to go this way. And so we found out where we were supposed to go. We had a great meeting. We left. But here's the deal. Once we had left, there was no way to get back in. We were out. While we had the freedom and the access for a certain time and for a certain place and for a certain hour, once we left, we couldn't get back in. You see, just today, because you know I've been in the White House and the Oval Office and the West Wing, what, a couple months ago, I can't go take you. I have no access. But here's the deal. When we're adopted, we have access to something way more powerful than a leader of a country. We have access to our Father, who just so happens to be the Creator who sovereignly appointed all things, and we have access to Him. But not only do we have access, we now have an intimate relationship with our Father. We've been given the word Abba. This is baby talk. This is like crawling up in God's lap and saying, Daddy, I need your help. And so we go and we serve God, knowing that we have access and we have intimacy with him. We work because we have a deep affection for the Father. And this is how he has lavishly loved us. But our adoption brings another implication, the second implication. Not only have we been accepted by Christ, but we now have a new primary identity, which is in Christ. You see, once our adoption papers have been signed, we begin to imitate Christ. We, he has sealed us through, through our salvation. We are given the Holy Spirit, and so that makes us more Christ-like. Moment by moment, we become more like him. This is a son trying to look like his daddy. I remember one time I was in India and I called back home and I asked Ashley if I had permission to spend $25 to get a custom blazer made. And she gave me permission. And little did I know my son, Caleb, who's 14 now, but I think he was seven or eight, was listening. And he said, Dad, can you get me one of those blazers so I can look just like you? I'm going to tell you, I spent another $20 pretty quickly, got him a blazer, and we looked sharp in our custom-made blazers. And now he's 14 years old, and I'm trying just to look like him to catch up with the time, signs of the times. He's wearing bow ties and looks all nice, and so now I'm wearing bow ties trying to look all nice. Why? He imitated me. Why? Because he wanted to look like his father. And in the same way, we imitate Christ. We imitate him because we're part of the family of God. And this is the beauty of our sonship. Right? We are moment by moment being made in the glory of Christ. This is the glory of our salvation. Oh, that we now have a new identity, and that is in Christ. But the third implication of our adoption is that we also now have belonging in the family of God. We now have belonging in the family of God. Look again at verses 11 through 14. 
In him, God the Father, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We are now one in Christ, and we now have a family. We have belonging in the family of Christ. Beloved brother and sister, you have more in common with the people in this room in Christ and believers in Asia, believers in Africa, believers in Eastern Europe, believers in South America, and believers around the world in Christ than you do with your next door neighbor or your family member who denies Christ. Because the blood of Christ, our adoption in Christ, unites us better than biology or location. We are part of the family of God. You see, through the gospel, Adoption tears down barriers of race and culture, class and socioeconomic level to create a multicultural, multi-ethnic and diverse family that bears the marks of our creator. We are not slaves. We are sons. And so we are part of the family of God. But that brings us to a fourth implication of our adoption in Christ. We are now called to model God's mercy and and justice. We've been adopted, we've been loved, we've received his mercy, we've received his justice, and now we are called to model that justice. Because Christ first loved us, we loved others. We look around at the poor, the needy, the broken, the orphan, the widow, and the vulnerable. And we love them because Christ first loved us and chose us before the foundation of the world. But no, beloved, Like we said, when we open our homes and our hearts and we start to model the mercy of the kingdom, oh, our families, our convenience, and our comfort will be sacrificed because there will be a cost. When we enter into suffering, we're bringing on that suffering into ourselves. But that's what Jesus did. We were sinful. We were wayward. We were suffering, we were apart by God, and he didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, and he entered into our pain and into our suffering. And so we follow our great God, and we, we go into the suffering because that's the model that he set for us. There will be a cost, but God will give great grace. Oh, he will give great and sweet, sweet grace. So we go, knowing that there will be pain, knowing that there will be suffering, knowing that we are entering into brokenness. But we go with the confidence of knowing that God's grace will follow us. God will give great grace. And so in closing, I want to exhort us in two ways. The reality of our adoption. What does that do for us? How does that exhort us? How does that carry us out of this room? First, We need to consider and embrace the wonder of our adoption into God's family. We need to consider and embrace the wonder of our adoption to God's family through Jesus Christ. As we continue to walk with Christ and grow in grace, we cannot ever forget the reality that we were adopted. And so the reality of our adoption by God the Father, it makes us fierce defenders of life. We defend life. The church of Jesus Christ should be leading in the charge of showing justice and mercy in the kingdom of the world. It should not be a political party that leads in bringing out justice and bringing out mercy, but it should be the saints of Jesus Christ who are not identified by political persuasion, but are identified by the word of God and our adoption papers in the family of God. 
we should be the leaders and the ones that defend life. And that doesn't just mean that a life would be born and that abortion would no longer be here and it would be eradicated. That means we start to live passionately for the single women who have brought life to their children. It means we start to live passionately for the children that have been born as a result of their mothers choosing life. It means that we passionately go and we defend life because we've been adopted. That's the reality of our adoption. And the re- as we consider the reality of our adoption by God the Father, It should enable us to embrace differences between races, socioeconomic levels, cultures, and nations. And it should engage us in gospel-driven reconciliation. O church of God, there should be no tribalism or prejudice within the body of Christ. Because we have a multicultural and multi-ethnic family from diverse backgrounds brought together by adoption. Jesus has woven a tapestry of culture and race and backgrounds in his family. And we of all should have no prejudice. We of all should have no tribalism because we see every person around the world redeemed by Christ as our brothers and our sisters. And we fight for them. We grieve with them. And we love them because they are a family. We are fierce defenders of racial reconciliation. And the reality of our adoption, it drives us to share the gospel in our neighborhoods, our communities, and it propels us to go to the nations with the Great Commission. Oh, the beauty of our sonship and our salvation thrust us to our neighborhoods and to the nations with a glorious and spellbounding gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we understand that we are adopted into the family of God, the Great Commission is no longer a burden, but it's a joy. Because we start to understand that we get to participate in the work of our Father. And so the last exhortation that I want us to see from this passage as we look at our reality as the adopted and chosen children of God is this. I would pray that we would consider caring for or adopting children into our families as an overflow of the inheritance that we have from Christ in God our Father. Beloved, This morning, it's not the duty of governments, humanitarians, the elite, or the wealthy to adopt, to foster children, or to care for the vulnerable child. It's the duty of God's chosen people to intentionally show the justice and mercy of the kingdom. And the ways that we care for the orphan, the vulnerable child, birth mothers, foster children, and the fatherless. What will the testimony of Christ's family truly be? when his people begin to show mercy and the justice of the kingdom and begin to emulate the character of our adopted father to the world. And so closing, it's not enough just to live in the reality of our spiritual adoption, but this reality should give us fresh and bold new desires to announce the excellencies of our father. We have a grand inheritance in Christ and it changes the way that we live. When we follow Christ, We get God. He is our inheritance. And our God is sovereign. And adoption was not plan B, but it's his beautiful instrument of redemption and justice. He establishes us and he roots us in his love as we spread the glory of our God to the vulnerable children and to those who have never heard the name of Christ around us. So as we close, I wanna invite you, if today, Maybe you heard this message in the reality of Ephesians chapter one and you realize for the first time, God's not my father. He's he's not my father. I've never repented. I've never believed and I've never confessed and followed after him. 
And this spiritual adoption that you talk to, these benefits, they're not mine yet because I've not yet followed him. I want you to know that Pastor Chad and others will be up here at the front to receive you. If there is a decision, if God is calling you to be a part of his family, let today be the day, Orphan Sunday, where you are no longer orphan, but you are now a child of God. Your pastor would love nothing more than to receive you at the front. But if God is working in your heart or you've come into this room today with suffering or pain and you need prayer and you need to talk to someone, I want you to know to my left and to your right, there is a room right here that you can go and share with this faith family prayer requests that you can be prayed over and that others can share and come alongside of you in your suffering and your pain and in what's going on in your life. So as the pastors come and you're invited to come and we worship in this last song, I'm gonna pray and then when I do, come, come to the Father. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to open up your word, for the opportunity to listen to your word. Lord, we're grateful that your word, as it says in Hebrews, is sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce and convict. And Lord, I pray that your word would pierce our hearts to the fresh reality that we are your children. And we come even at this moment before you, before your throne, worshiping you and praying before you because you're our daddy, you're our father. But Lord, if there are a man or a woman or a boy or a girl in this room who's never come to the reality that they too could be adopted by God, if they've never confessed, repented, believed and followed after you, today, I pray that today would be the day. Would you draw them to yourself? Would you draw them to the cross? and to the adoption that can be theirs in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their uh, abundant care for the orphan, for the foster child, and for the vulnerable child. I thank you for the expression that this weekend has been of a reality that lives in their hearts 365 days of the year. And I pray that you would water this church, that you would use this church for the spread and proclamation of your gospel, that this church, that this faith family would glorify you by making disciples of all nations here in Jackson, throughout Mississippi, throughout our nation, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Use this faith family to glorify you by making disciples. And it's to that end in your name that we pray, the name of Jesus, amen. We're thankful for the opportunity that Herbie had to share with the Colonial Heights Baptist Church in Ridgeland, Mississippi. Um, We would love the opportunity at Lifeline to be able to come and to share with your church family, uh, perhaps on an Orphan Sunday or a Sanctity of Life Sunday or just a Sunday that you deem appropriate. And whether that would be someone coming and leading and preaching a sermon or setting up a table or sharing for a few minutes about work that Lifeline is doing and ways that your church can partner, there are a variety of ways that we would love to be involved. And so please reach out to us at our website, www.lifelinechild.org or on social media at Lifeline on all the major channels and we would love to have the conversation of getting into a deeper partnership with you and with your church. This week, we're praying for Pakistan. And so um, we want to pray this week that God will continue to strengthen local believers and and particularly that he will increase the faith and sustain uh, persecuted believers. Uh, We want to pray specifically also for the relations between India and Pakistan and the way that those two countries uh, are are able to to live and coexist uh, across a border. 
We want to pray for the continuing unrest and terrorist attacks within the country and just pray God's God's protection uh, and God's providence over those situations. We want to pray for support for our partner and the girls hostel for girls that have been redeemed out of trafficking and and are seeking to learn and to learn a craft, uh, but ultimately to live for the Lord in the midst uh, of a very difficult community. We want to pray that in the midst of the Muslim community that surrounds them, that God would prevail on the hearts of men and women. Uh, We want to pray that that people will see the light and the truth of Christ in these girls and through the staff at the home. we want to pray that the Lord will give strength and courage to to the girls that are at the home and will um, will will help them to be lights for Him in the community. Uh, recently, they've incurred uh, a lot of persecution in that area, uh, particularly from their classmates in their new school. And we just want to pray that God would use this opportunity to strengthen them, but also to to strengthen their witness among their friends. We want to pray that as girls come to the home, that they would come to know Christ as their Savior and that they would grow in Him. And then finally, we want to offer praise to the Lord for the construction of a new hostel that's completed, uh, that the girls have moved into. Uh, We want to pray that as they they continue to move and settle in, that the process would go smoothly and and that the Lord would uh, provide people to walk alongside the project and to fund all that's necessary um, in order to complete this project. And so if you will, pray with me. God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to partner with believers in Pakistan. Lord, in a place that is difficult to live for Jesus, God, thank you for the opportunity to encourage believers and to help to provide resources for believers that are living on the front line uh, with your gospel. God, we pray that you would 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 watch over and empower and enable um, both the workers and the girls that are there. God, we pray that you would give them great discernment for what to do and where to go and how to do it, Lord, in order to magnify your name. God, we pray in the midst of persecution that, Lord, that that the voice of of these people will be heard and that the gospel um, will be spread. God, we pray for um, the the community around, Lord, that is deluded in the darkness of Islam. God, we pray that they will see their their faith and their pursuit of Allah as a dead end and that, God, you, uh, by your power, God, that you, by your initiative, will put your power and your majesty and your mercy and your grace on display and that God they would see a distinct difference between the, between the dead end of Islam God and and the rich life that can be had in Jesus because Jesus is alive. And so, Lord, today we pray that you will accomplish these things for your glory, God, that you will sustain your church in the middle of Pakistan, and that, God, you will care for orphan and vulnerable children there because because that is what you have called your people to do. And so, Lord, today we confess that we are without resource to do this, but, God, you you are the one that provides the power and the strength and the resource. And so, Lord, we plead this in the powerful name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. 
For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.